Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. See Frederick John, otherwise known as Fred John, that's how I knew him, uh, enjoys a global reputation as a strategic researcher with a career spanning over 40, that's right, 40 years. He specializes in melding profound insights into concrete recommendations for clients and in crafting compelling research deliverables using storytelling techniques, which of course is why he's here. He's got a book all about that being released this Thursday, November 11th. Welcome to the program, uh, Fred John. Thank you, Mike. Fred, I always like to say this story is uh, about really the story. This podcast is really about uncorking the stories behind the stories um, from from writers. And I'm curious, Fred, where does your your uh, story as a writer begin? Well, I would say in a very, very primitive stage. Uh, it goes back to my childhood. Uh, I grew up in an academic uh, household and my lots of books were always around. And uh, my father would read us uh, adventure stories like Robinson Crusoe and Kidnapped and Jungle Book. So I got into stories that way. And then I had a uh, kind of very formative experience with a writer called Walter R. Brooks, who wrote a series of children's books around a character called Freddy the Pig. And of course, being a Freddy, I was very much attracted to this. Uh, and Freddie was a this was a pig on a barnyard in up, upstate New York, and he had a lot of adventures. Every book was he took on a different role. Freddie became a detective, a cowboy. He published a barnyard newspaper. It's a, it's a very versatile pig you're talking about here, Fred. This was a very productive pig, and he, uh, so my my role model uh, in a sense was not human. Uh, Brooks, by the way, uh, before he started this series, wrote a series of article uh, stories about a talking horse, Mr. Ed. Of oh, course. of course, of course. Who became a uh, TV celebrity after Mr. Brooks himself had passed away. Anyway, so in emulating my role model, I started writing a family newspaper and which, you know, became then, uh, you know, in, in later years, school newspapers, and also wrote some pretty childish poetry. So that was kind of, you know, my early writing years. And after that, nothing much. I uh, wrote some nonsense poetry in college. But uh, 
only later in life I took on as a market researcher, I obviously had to write reports. So I you know, got into those and I started writing articles about the market research industry, which uh, became sort of provocative, which I enjoyed doing. I also on uh, later life started writing um, some song parodies along uh, political lines, including a version of the musical Oklahoma, which was based on this uh, George Bush's, the second Bush's administration. And uh, also some other political writings that I have on my own uh, occasional blog, Seafred uh, Reflections, which include uh, also some political song parodies, mainly focused on Trump. Uh, so in effect, uh, a lot of my writing experience comes from the uh, early years, but most of when I really started thinking of myself as a writer from, uh, the last dozen years or so. Got it. So, when, but when you were younger, sort of thinking about what you wanted to do with your life, did, did it ever cross your your mind that you'd like to do something in publishing, whether it was journalism or 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 other other forms of writing, or did your did you decide to take a, a different path in your career? Uh, I don't think I ever considered seriously writing. I think it was always a more of a hobby, uh, and then uh, you know I ended up. I ended up is the wrong word. Uh, I uh, focused on politics and history in college and graduate school. Then I got a degree in historical musicology, which was a lot of fun, but didn't lead to any jobs. And I sort of stumbled into the market research uh, profession uh, by accident and never found the exit. How did you, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting. I mean, just having worked in the research industry for, I mean, myself, a quarter of a century now, I find that most people stumble their way into it. Like nobody leaves, you know, their undergraduate or graduate studies and says, I'm going to be a market researcher. How did you, how did you stumble into the market research profession? Uh, quite honestly, it was a personal connection. <clears throat> a neighbor of my parents uh, who ran a PR firm uh, was starting up a small research operation within the PR firm. And they were looking for young people to, to join it. And, you know, the information was passed on to me. Uh, and that wasn't even market research, but more public policy kind of research on issues that were important to their PR clients. And that's how I started. And then, you know, later on, I moved on to more, uh, uh, re respectable market research firms like Harris and Yankelovich, but I ended up on the client side at MasterCard. Yeah, I, I remember those names, Harris and Yankelovich. What, what do you suppose it is about market research, though? That that um, you say you never found your exit. What did you What did you like or embrace about working in market research? Well, I think it satisfies a certain. Uh, uh, curiosity, uh, people have that. Uh, for one thing, you're always, particularly if you're on the uh, 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 supplier side, you're always being exposed to new businesses, new products, new uh, uh, industries. So you have to learn a lot 
And uh, so it's that constant uh, challenge, even at MasterCard where everything was at the time pretty much plastic in one form or another, uh, they were all, you had to learn about how money and uh, lending and banking works in multiple countries. So there's that learning aspect, uh, but also there's a curiosity of your, your job is to answer questions. So it's a, a way of understanding really what the underlying roots of the issues are that may be challenging your clients and what is the best way of uh, answering their questions, coming up with the guidance they need. And then uh, very much grappling with all this data. And as you know, most research produces far more data than is relevant. So how do you work through that? And so it's again, a, uh, it's a problem solving. You know, it, it's like in a way being like a detective and you're looking for the, um, the link or the insight that explains and resolves everything. Yeah. And so much of it is knowing what are the right questions to ask, you know, so in, in, a, in a world of infinite questions, you know, kind of bringing it down to the most important questions, but then also kind of how to, how to take your curiosity and, and hunt for clues. I mean, just to take your detective, you know, comparison a little bit, how to like look for cue, uh, clues and then, and put those together so that they give you sort of a satisfying answer, right. To, to whatever question it is you're looking for. That's how I always thought of it. Um, I always thought of myself as a bit of a, a, a detective um, kind of on, on a hunt for um, sort of interesting and, and important, relevant um, knowledge and insights. Um, what, what role does storytelling play in market research? Because, you know, many of us who've worked in the business world for a long time um, are exposed to all different types of market research. Um, some of it insightful, some of it just very factual. But tell me about the importance of storytelling in market research, because that's something I'm hearing more and more about. Well, uh, one of the things is in the last, you know, maybe a few years, more than that, clients have been demanding more story. You know, so what's the story? What, uh, you know, tell me more of something like a story than these very boring reports. And uh, part of the challenge is, they're not the the use of the word story and storytelling is not uh, is not consistent and part of what was the original impetus for me was to bring a little clarity to these uh, multiple uses of the term originally thought of it as maybe an article or presentation and kind of grew into a book um, but basically most market research reports and presentations that I've experienced, including many that I've written, are boring as hell. <laughs> they are not compelling. They have none of the uh, imagination or stickiness of stories. And that's because the market researcher is essentially relating data. And most reports and presentations are overladen with too much factual information. In the quantitative world, you basically it's numbers. In the qualitative, it may be the results of focus groups, but very little about the experience of reading or sitting through a presentation gives you that dra dramatic impact that you get from a good story. It doesn't pull you in, it doesn't hold your attention. 
And part of what uh, led me into this was a series of um, training exercises that I did, professional training at MasterCard, which started with how do we become more insightful? And then how do we make our deliverables more impactful and more compelling? And I realized that storytelling and in fact the arts had a lot to teach us. And so I started you know, thinking more objectively about what can we learn from stories, from literature, from art, um, from even from paintings, sculpture, even music. And a lot of that dealt with structure, but also very, uh, you know, the certain characteristics that you find in each individual art that I found you could look, pull something from that. For example, how, how a, the importance of how a story begins is absolutely critical. How do you get, you know, how does a writer get you to turn the page? How does an article get you to read the next paragraph? How does a piece of music get you to continue listening? And from that, I realized the way most market research reports and presentations are structured, they absolutely push people away. There's too much of the due diligence up front. You start with a methodology, which is boring to everyone except researchers. And then you go through the background and objectives and you tell the client what they already know because they know the background and they wrote the objectives. And then you come to, uh, eventually you get to the meat of the, the presentation and that very often is structured basically along the lines of what did we ask, this is what the answers are, rather than what have we learned that's really important to you, the client that you're paying all this money for. And that may only be a very small part of what you've learned. Than uh, what you've uh, figured out. So uh, we, I figured, if you take the lessons of story and storytelling, apply them to your reports, apply them to your presentations, you're going to really keep your clients engaged, which then leads to the next thing. They'll actually listen when you start telling them, "Well, this is what I conclude. This is what I recommend." And uh, so that's kind of where I see storytelling fitting in. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd like to say, um, if any journalism student wants to, to see a good example of what um, burying the lead looks like, they can read pretty much any market research report. Maybe not yours, Fred, but many market research reports. I mean, the leads, it's all buried. It's all buried in noise and background. And it's most of it, most research reports are all about uh, just regurgitating things heard or observed in the research versus what they mean and what what the real implications are of it. So I, I definitely hear what you're saying. Um, so you said that this this book kind of came out uh, maybe after sort of taking a um, a seminar or or leading some seminars on storytelling at Mastercard. And was it a re, did, you, did I hear you correctly? Was it originally you were thinking about writing an article and this article kind of then turned into a book? Just tell me a little bit more about the, how the book came about. Well. Uh... It, they, over the last two years, of course, uh, we had a COVID experience. And as I started uh, pulling together some thoughts for what might have been an article, uh, starting with, you know, here are the four meanings of story in business. And uh, you know, one of them is exactly what you're talking about. It's the story being the essential learning. 
not you know the, all the little bits of things you've learned, but what is it you've learned that you could express in a couple of sentences? This is what it means. This is the ultimate eureka aha moment. Uh, so I started pulling that together, and I, I realized that from my the workshops I'd conducted at Mastercard and afterwards, I uh, had a lot of good material. <laughs> I had a lot of good thinking. And so the challenge for me was, so how do you pull this together coherently into a larger, what became a book, which grew like, I guess, like a lot of books do. Um, and so my, for me, this challenge very much was structural. I had a lot of things I wanted to say, how could I organize it that each chapter made sense, but it would lead to another chapter and so forth. And I actually thought of, before I get into the market research relevance, I had to come to grips with what does story mean? What does storytelling mean? And I, you know, what is the role of the storyteller? And so a lot of what I put in the book is very personal. It didn't draw on, on anyone else's research or so forth. And I go back to the role of the storyteller as he appears in the Odyssey. And then I draw on a much more recent uh, essay that uh, sort of explains storytelling in the modern sense, but it draws on a lot of uh, Aboriginal uh, US uh, Native American cultures. And that kind of shaped my vision of what storytelling should be. And then uh, one of the essential elements of story that are relevant that could be put into the research realm. And there I'm looking at things like uh, how stories pull you out of the real world and put you into a, uh, another place. As simple as say, a. A fairy tale starts with once upon a time, which is a good way of letting you know that you're not talking about a specific place, a specific time, and in what follows, you may have all kinds of things that aren't real. The front matter of a book, you go through page after page, you may not read it, but it's a way of preparing you for the text that eventually follows. Uh, opera often begins with an overture. So there are lots of different ways in which there are these uh, people are invited into uh, through boundaries into the, the story itself. And that's where I come back to the market research report or presentation, put something up front that really grabs people other than turns them away with a long description of your methodology. Uh, make your uh, background and objectives more compelling don't make them just very plain. And certainly in the presentation where I put a lot of emphasis, uh, become a presenter that is more like a performer, even a magician, not a very neutral pseudo academic type with a really boring tone. You know, I interesting, um, thinking about different organization and organizational cultures. Um, just thinking about all the all the different clients I've had the the good fortune of working with, from pharmaceutical companies to financial services firms, consumer goods, et cetera. You know, do you see the tolerance for storytelling being equal across organizations, or are some more open to it than others? Because there is, in my experience anyway, um, and I'm somebody who's always been on um, sort of more the bleeding edge when it comes to 
methodologies. I mean, I, I sort of cut my teeth in, in the dot-com era um, and was doing some really innovative work before most companies were. Um, also, you know, thinking about ways, I'm a fiction writer um, as well. So I always try and bring like a more of a flair to both my presentation style, but also like what I choose to put in reports. And I do get feedback sometimes saying, hey, you know, just stick to the facts, um, you know, versus don't get too creative. So I'm just curious as to, you know, do you see this desire for storytelling equal across organizations or are some more open to it than others? I would say you're absolutely right. And you've got to know your client. And in many cases, if you're dealing with a counterpart, if you're, for example, a research supplier, conducting a study for a major corporation, you're dealing with an in, inside corporate researcher, you have to know what the expectations are of that person's management who are probably paying for the research. And in some cases, uh, they will say, just give us the facts and we'll interpret it. Uh, just tell us what we want to know. Don't, don't be creative. In other cases, they really want to have more of a more of a show, something more engaging. Of course, they don't always know. One thing that I, I offer as a um, kind of a, a, a final uh, way of presenting research is actually turning it into a fictional story. And uh, this is something I've taught in some workshops and a few of my students have come back who actually were presenting to the pharmaceutical industry, which is a pretty strict uh, sector, and they said, you know, our traditional reports and presentations really didn't fly, so we converted them into a kind of a, a medieval hero, heroine type of story, and it really worked. And so, you know, I give some lessons and some examples of how you can do that. Now, of course, you're not going to try that on a client that may walk out because they think you know, all I want is the numbers, all I want are the facts. So again, you have to know your audience ahead of time. But I think there are a lot of the aspects of storytelling that you can incorporate. Uh, and I even talk about the use of language and so forth that can get your clients to relate to you, the research teller as more of a, a human being than as a very uh, neutral persona. Yeah, and I think it's also a way for market researchers to, to really um, set themselves apart from, from competition. So, I mean, I speak from, a, from more of a qualitative perspective where, um, you know, my, my world's a little bit different than to say somebody who works for a big quant firm. I mean, I, I compete with individuals basically. Um, and, um, but you know, what I have heard over the years is that my, my storytelling abilities are, are why people hire me. Um, so I'm actually curious to, to really dig more into your book and, and learn how I can become an even better storyteller, which leads me to what are, what are some key things that, um, people will pick up after, so after reading your book, what are some key lessons there? Of course, don't give, don't give away the store because people need to buy the book, um, but what, what are, you know, let, let's say there's a, some market researchers listening to this right now, or, or even, um, you know, people in other aspects of marketing who want to learn more about storytelling. But what are some key lessons they're going to walk away with after, after reading this book, Fred? I think one of the uh, key things is that you really have to establish what 
the essential learning is, which is one of the meanings of the word story, before you can do anything else. And you can't do that by uh, simply getting uh, all the data in front of you and going through it very quickly and uh, start writing. You shouldn't start writing until you really do some deep thinking. And a lot of what that involves, coming up with the essential learning, is a series of steps which I lay out, uh, which is like taking, um, you know, you have a, a table full of jigsaw pieces, puzzle pieces, and you want to start pulling them together in some meaningful way. Well, we all know how we do that. You know, you look for edge pieces or you look for pieces with, you know, similar things on them and do they fit, don't they fit? And you sort of build up a structure maybe multiple structures and eventually you try to pull it all together. And as you pull things together, the picture becomes clearer and clearer. And ultimately, if you're really thinking about it, you come up with what does this all mean? And part of that is also asking yourself constantly as you look at every single finding or group of findings, well, this is interesting. What does it mean? What are the implications of this? And also, what, do, what could cause this? What's the causality behind it? Is there a cause and effect relationship between some of the variables? And all of this is mental activity. So we talk about AI and machine learning and all kinds of other things that help collect data, which is great, and maybe even synthesize a little bit. But this ultimate synthesis is a human activity. And part of what I'm saying is don't shortchange that. Now, what I hear from a lot of my research uh, colleagues is, that's great, but we're not given the time to think. And, you know, we come out of the field or you finish your focus groups and the next day they want a, a, a top line, which to me is the worst thing a client could ever want because it's like, I can give you the wrong answer really quickly. I haven't thought about it, but here it is. Um, so, it, you really have to push back on client demand and say, well, you know, give me a little more time to think about this and I will make, I, the value you get will be much greater. So that's sort of one of the lessons. The other is to think very much about the structure of your deliverables, that not to organize if, let's assume your report or presentations organized by chapter or topic, really think about not only what goes into each of those, but how you, do, you define a chapter, and it may not be by attitudes, behaviors, demographics or whatever, but maybe some combination of those variables leading you to identify different themes. And then how do you connect one theme to the next? So I, I struggle just as I did in writing the book, but even whenever I write anything, structure is a very, very important thing. And there are multiple ways of doing it. And you kind of have to experiment with that. Yep. Finally, for the research presenter, try to get your audience to focus on you from the moment they enter the room. And I, I give a lot of uh, suggestions on doing that. One is just turning off the lights and putting the due diligence aspects, namely the, the methodology, the background objectives on the screen and just run it as a, you know, constant slides. So people are forced to look at it and then you get up and you start speaking. So um, again, a lot of different things one can do. 
to try to engage with your audience. Talk to me a little bit about the publishing process here, because I'm, I'm curious about, I'm always curious about how, how things come from, um, go from ideas to actually physical product uh, or digital product as the case may be. But, um, you know, you worked with a publisher, it uh, looks like Rutledge uh, Press. Um, how did you uh, find your publisher? Did you work through a literary agent? Um, and, and what was sort of the, the, the back and forth and collaborative process with the publisher like? Uh, I would say, ultimately, for, first of all, I was very lucky to end up with, 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 with Rutledge. Uh, I had no experience in um, finding publishers or anything like that. So I asked around, a um, number of people suggested different publishers to try. And uh, I sent out a, a few letters to publishers that seemed to be uh, into the business book or professional book uh, some, or the, the marketing research uh, arena. And um, Rutledge was one of the books, that, one of the publishers someone recommended. And they're actually part of a much larger group called Taylor Francis. And I was lucky enough to connect with, a, I, I guess, what would we call an acquisition editor who you know, I, I sent a, I guess, a synopsis of what the topic was, and she asked for some more information, gave me some very good feedback. Uh, and then, you know, when I came back with a more revised plan, was able to persuade whomever she had to persuade on the inside that let's take a risk on this book. And it's not a textbook. Uh, you know, there are market research textbooks that talk a lot about the how-to. Um, most of the how-to is uh, in the quant world, it would be various statistical tools. In the qual world, you're talking about semiotics or how to lead a focus group. And, uh, I, you know, most of those books say very little about, the, you know, how do you deliver your results and what they have given traditionally is really old fashioned and really boring. Here's a, here's a way to structure a report that's guaranteed to put your reader to sleep. So um, I thought, um, you know, I'm covering basically the deliverable aspect, but uh, you know, that could be an added text or a recommended reading in a market research or a marketing course. But really for anyone, even for the end users, if you're in marketing and you're ordering uh, research, organizing research projects, good to understand what goes into it and what, how, you, how you can lead your uh, suppliers to provide something that's really more interesting to you. So if you're a client saying, I want more story, you can say, well, this is really what I'm looking for. Excellent. Well, it, it, this book will be available uh, this coming Thursday, November 11th. Uh, Fred, where can people buy the book? Well, they can get it on the Rutledge uh, website. You can actually find an, in, uh, a link on my own website, uh, which is consilienceresearch.com. It's also available on Amazon. And uh, I assume that there are other you know, booksellers who are, uh, you might even be able to get it in the store. Uh, like the Trinity, 
it appears in three forms, and that is uh, hardcover, softcover, and ebook. Uh, uh, and I would say, whatever works for you, you can get it uh, from whichever medium you choose. There you go. You can choose your own adventure in that regard. Uh, well, Fred, thank you very much for joining the program. All the best with your book. Thank you, Mike, for having me.